0: Hello and welcome to the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and I'm one of the leading experts in online mediation. I have personally been mediating online for over five years now, and I have my own fully online family law mediation and coaching practice. Two years ago, after so many of my colleagues reached out wanting to know how I was doing it, I created the Learn to Mediate Online Training Program. And to date, I have personally trained thousands of mediators in how to successfully conduct their mediations through an online platform. As a leading figure in the online mediation movement, I am privileged to be on the cutting edge of developments and advances in online practice. And this podcast has been created to share that information with you. So tune in each week to get the inside story on how to mediate online. I invite you to now listen to today's podcast. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I want to focus on the other programs that you're going to need to have in order to conduct your mediations online. I think we get so focused on the fact that we need video conferencing and all of the conversation is around should we use Zoom, should we use Modrin, Legler, uh, WebEx, you know, all of that about video conferencing that sometimes the other capabilities that we're going to need to have um, get lost in the Translation. And it's not until you're in the middle of your first online mediation when you realize that there's something that you need to be able to do that you can't do because your participants are not with you in the same room. And that's really why you do need these other Programs, or at least to consider having other capabilities beyond just the video conferencing. Um, So that is, as we all know, the major difference between a virtual mediation and an in-person mediation is that everybody is remote from each other, or often everyone is remote from each other. So what happens is the things that we did and took for granted when our participants were in the room with us or in the same physical space with us, things like handing you a document, things like signing a document, things like handing you a check, all of those things are now going to be different because you are virtual or online. So what I advise everyone is to think about those things that you do in person that are now going to create some sort of a, an issue or need some creativity because your participants are remote from you. In fact, in most online mediations, your participants are never going to be in the same space that you're in. I've been you know, conducting online mediations remotely for several years now, often completely across the continent from my participants. So yes, you can do things by mail and there are some, you know, end arounds that way, but there's actually a lot of technology out there to help us. Some of it you may already be uh, using, but you want to make sure that you have it in place. And as I always advise with any technology that you are using in your practice, you, 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 as the practitioner, need to understand how to use your programs, and you need to let your participants know what programs you're going to be using so that they can be familiar with them when you are conducting your online proceedings. So the first thing that always comes up, and it usually comes up long before you actually get to the mediation, and that is how are you going to transmit documents back and forth? How are you going to exchange you know, written information back and forth, give them forms to fill out, give them um, data, have them give you copies of the pleadings, have them fill out any paperwork that you need, uh, review agreements, your agreement to mediate, all of that. So this is something that we often take care of ahead of time in an in-person mediation. Uh, But I do want to review some of the issues that come about because... One of the things that I know many of us are still doing is attaching documents to emails. Um, we use email so it's so integrated into our lives these days that we don't often think anything of attaching documents to an email and sending them off to the client. And for innocuous documents, for documents that contain general information that in no way is sensitive or confidential or private, that is perhaps okay. But you cannot attach sensitive private information to an email and send it. Um, I was just reading an article on this and the way they described that is it's the same thing as if you took, say, someone's tax return with their their private, you know, um, social security numbers and their income data, and you put it in a clear envelope and sent that through the US mail, right? Everybody who had their hand on that would be able to see that data. It is the same thing with email. Yes, email can be encrypted, but it is generally not a safe way to transmit data. Um, And we, as the professionals, have an obligation to keep our clients' information private and secure. So we should not be using email to transmit data. Now, the thing that I find is I try to never send anything attached to an email to clients because the minute we do that, they then think it's okay to do that back. So as an example, if you send a request for documents to your client and then they gather their information which may or contain that sensitive personal information, if you send them a list of what you want attached to an email, how do we think they're going to send it back to us? They're going to attach it to an email and send it, usually that email, and create a chain and send it right back. So as a practice, and this I would say in person or online, but there are reasons why online, obviously, they're never going to walk into your office for a virtual mediation and give you a box of their documents or their information. So you do need to, you know, obviously, virtually, you need to have this in place. So I will set up a, a, I use Dropbox, so it is important to use a file transfer tool. That's what they generally call them, cloud storage. And we're going to talk about storage as well. But really, here we're talking about transferring the files, right? We need to transfer that information back and forth between you and all of the other participants. So you want to be looking for a program that uses SSL and TLS. Um, SSL is sure. Sh- secure sockets layer, and TLS is transport layer technology. Those are kind of the two gold standards. Um, So if you're looking for a program to use, make sure you find one that has both of those capabilities. Um, And ultimately, What you want is something that is going to encrypt the information that is going back and forth, that is password protected, that can only um, be accessed by people that you give permission to. Uh, Something like, as I just said, I've been using Dropbox for years. So what I do when I create a new client file is I go into Dropbox, I open up a main file for that case. Then I open up data files for the participants, send them all a link to their particular file. I also create perhaps a general file for general information, give that link to everyone who should have that. And you can continue to then give them that information. You can even send them the link so that they can then access it and upload their documents. So as example, I send them um, in a secure link to my Dropbox file, a sample copy of the mediation agreement, a sample copy of my guidelines and ground rules, um, if I'm asking for information from them. Pretty much everything except the email, general scheduling or information, Uh, that is, again, general in nature, is going to go through that Dropbox file. So it's really important that you have in place some way to a file transfer tool. Uh, Some others that are really popular are Google Drive, Lex Workplace, and a new one that I just heard of that a few people have really um, enjoyed working with is SYNC.com, S Y N C.com. So, you know, all of those are a place to start. You can Google, you know, secure encrypted file transfer tools as well. Many of them have free trials, and I suggest starting with one. Getting comfortable with it, knowing how to work with it, um, and then deciding on which one works best for you within their price point. But most of them, because they are also cloud storage or a way to store your files, which is the or or documents or information that you're you're collecting in a file in a case. That is the next thing that you need to do. So something that very clearly is different in a virtual mediation as opposed to an in-person mediation is paper is very unhelpful in a virtual mediation. I know many of us are used to having our big, you know, file folder next to us when we're conducting a mediation and shuffling through it to pull out a copy of the pla- the pleadings or a copy of uh, you know some of the information or a photograph None of that is particularly helpful to you in a virtual proceeding. Um, Everything can be shared in a virtual proceeding. The screen share, for those of you who have listened to me before, it's one of my favorite aspects of an online mediation proceeding because the file share is so easy to use and makes everything so visual. It makes it easy for people to understand and see um, what you are talking about. We assimilate information so much better when we can see things. But if you have a piece of paper that you've just pulled out of a file and you want to reference something in that to the other people in the room, the only way to show that to them on a piece of paper is to hold the paper up to the camera. A very ineffective way to do it. So Another thing that we need to think of beforehand is the fact that all of our documentation needs to be electronic. It needs to be accessible online so that we're going to be able to screen share it. Um, And we need to have it organized and we need to know where it is and have it easily accessible so that you're not fumbling around in the middle of your mediation much as you would with your paper file looking through it, right? You know, looking for that particular piece of paper flipping through the pages in an expansion file. So the other aspect of documents and documentation in a virtual mediation is it's v- very important to have everything electronically uploaded and then stored for easy accessibility as well as secure accessibility. So again, something like Dropbox or Google Drive, a way of securely exchanging documents is also a way to securely store documents and have them accessible on the computer. If you are in a case where someone has sent you a copy of all the pleadings in um, or documentation or their briefs or whatever information it might be, it, it, and they send it to you in hard copy, your best bet is to upload that and get it into an electronic file so that if you need to access it during the mediation, it's going to be easily accessible to you. Um, And that's why I actually make it a practice of asking everyone not to send me anything in paper unless it's absolutely 100% necessary. I prefer to have everything sent to me, again, through my Dropbox links, but in electronic form. Um, When I switched to an online practice, I went almost completely paperless. Yes, I do still always have my yellow pad. I'm a lawyer. I can't break myself of that habit. Um, but I actually am trying to get myself used to taking notes on the iPad um, so that I can then upload those written notes as a file as opposed to doing it this way and having to scan it in. Um, you know, I, I, the less I can use my scanner and the more I can just create things in a form that makes it easily accessible online, obviously the better. So some other um, document storage um, you know, things that are helpful to us is I know in both Google as well as Dropbox, they also have a file um, share where you can have several people working on a document at the same time. It's in Google Docs um, for for the Google and Dropbox now has a shared file working document um, accessibility as well. And I know there are others, I just mentioned those too. But that can be really helpful for you when you get to that point of, hey, we've had the mediation, we've been successful, let's work up a term sheet, let's draft an agreement. If you can pull it up in a Google Doc or in a shared Doc where people can all be working on it on this, at the same time and see as you share it, one person shares that on screen, that can also be very helpful because everybody gets to have their input. As an alternative, you can pull up a Word doc and have one person be making all of the changes, but if you're sharing that Word doc on the screen, at least everybody can see what's going on. So that's also very, very helpful. Now one of the additional issues that always comes up, um, and if we're lucky, it comes up in every single one of our mediations is, well, how are we going to get signatures? Um, And there's a few layered issues around the issue of signatures, right? Nobody's in your conference room anymore for you to circulate a document. They are only in your virtual conference room. So, first thing that you need to decide is how you might get electronic signatures. Um, if it is a if it is feasible, and acceptable for the type of document that you're signing and whether or not it needs to be submitted to court or if at least it can show intent to sign with an understanding that wet signatures will be gathered later. Um, but you can use an e-signature program, something like DocuSign, WriteSignature, Adobe Sign. There's also a new one that someone just told me about that um, I used in another case called Hello Sign. Um, those are all all wonderful. They do. I happen to use um, DocuSign. People always ask me which one I use. I use DocuSign, um, one, because everybody seems to know it. Uh, That's very helpful. It's not scary to people. I actually was just using a different, um, I can't remember the name of it, but um, in another type of a matter, somebody sent me documents to sign in another type of um, proceeding, and I could not fi- I could not figure out how to use that particular one. DocuSign's relatively simple and and easy to use, uh, but it requires uploading whatever the agreement is. So, say you've now worked on that Word document we just talked about, you would be saving it. Uploading it into your DocuSign account or whatever e-signature account you had, and then inputting um, that and sending that out through DocuSign Secure Server um, or Write Signatures, Hello Sign, Adobe Sign, um, and that would go to all of the participants who can click and sign with the with a, their mouse that would then come back fully um, signed and everyone would then get a copy. Now that's what I usually use um, and that will work in most cases, but you are going to have a few instances where that you might run into that are a little more complicated. One is when you need signatures notarized um, or the acknowledgement taken. Um, so. There are online notaries. There's enotary.com, notarize.com, and NotaryCam. They do, that's a video. They're all done virtually, just as we use, um, you know, Zoom or whatever video conferencing platform to sign. Um, So in some jurisdictions, an online notary is an acceptable notarization. This is something that you need to put some investigation into, some thought into in advance so that you know whether an online notary is going to be acceptable in your jurisdiction or in the jurisdiction in which you are working. There are also, in case an online notary is not going to work, there are traveling notaries. Um, That is what I will usually use when I need to have the divorce agreement signed by the parties and we need to have their signatures acknowledged. Um, If I am doing one, say, in Connecticut, I've done a mediation in Connecticut, I'm in Chicago, I can't take the people's acknowledgement. So I will make arrangements with a traveling notary. There's mobile notary near you, Dot com and one two three notary.com. those are two services another possibility is making sure the clients know ahead of time they might need a notary and perhaps they make arrangements to go to a bank or something like that but that's you know that's obviously not getting you the signature right in the moment so having the arrangements making arrangements ahead of time can be very helpful now if you're not Going to be um, using a mobile or e signature or a mobile notary, you may end up needing to use snail mail or an overnighting service, FedEx, DHL, UPS, um, or I believe the even the Postal Service has an overnight service. Um, but that is does put a delay into the entire process. That is something that you would need to make people aware of. Um, and maybe you want to incorporate something into your agreement where they at least do an e-signature with an intention to get the wet signatures by mail or overnight process. And then the last you know option would be, and I just had someone mention this to me when I did a webinar on this the other day, was that, well, I just attach the agreement as a PDF to an email that I circulate to everyone, ask them to print it out, sign it, scan it, and send it back. Well, we've already talked about the problem with sending documents by email, so I'm not gonna go into that again, But I will tell you, people, the the more difficult it is for people to do things remotely, the less satisfied they are with your online process. So it really does behoove you to make things as simple as possible for your participants. They don't like, I mean, just think about that process, right? They have to go open up the email, print it out, sign it, scan it back in, and send it back to you. It takes time, and people just generally don't find that very helpful. Um, In the alternative, if you have some savvy clients who know how to use Adobe Sign or something like that, they can upload it onto their iPad and use their iPencil or something like that to sign it if they have a touch screen computer. That's another alternative where they wouldn't have to print it out. Um, But that's not going to get you the wet signatures. But do not attach it a PDF by email. Again, send it through a secure documents transmission service, as we talked about earlier. And then the last topic that I just always want to touch on with um, the people that I'm talking about, because I've had more than one person say to me, Oh, my gosh, I never thought about that. And that is, how do you get paid when your clients are entirely remote from you? So for those of us who are used to or who have in past practice, taking a credit card from the clients when they are there or when they sign their agreement, get a check in person from them. Obviously, those instrumentalities are not going to be available to you in person, right, if you're remote all the time. So I just encourage you to think ahead about how you can make it as streamlined and simple as possible for people to pay you. And that is because it goes back to what I just said. The easier you make things in the virtual process, the happier people are with the virtual process. And that includes making payments. Um, So having to sit down with a checkbook when people Hardly write checks anymore is not something that people want to do, and they certainly don't then want to put it into an envelope, address that envelope, find a stamp, and walk out to a mailbox. In general, yes, there are people who that's perfectly fine. Most people pay almost everything online these days, and so they want to have a simpler, easier way to pay you. And so that might mean having a merchant account so that you can have them pay you by credit card. Um, I know many attorneys have accounts with law pay. I personally use PayPal and Square, um, which you probably, if you've gone to any type of a vendor these days, almost everyone has dealt with swiping a credit card um, or being at a flea market and, using their credit card because the vendor uses Square or PayPal, it is a way for them to make a secure credit card transaction without ever giving you their credit card information. It gets swiped and taken just as you do in any store, um, and they would then be able to pay that way. So if you use PayPal or Square or one of those merchant services, you can give them a link that they can just go to and pay. In fact, both PayPal and Square allow you to create an invoice. And that invoice can be itemized. They can be made to look very professional. You can put logos on them. You can do an itemized line by line, you know, multi-page invoice for attorneys who are doing things by the hour or mediators um, who want to enumerate their hourly time spent. It can be done right in these. It goes out to all of the participants and has a nice button right on the invoice that'll allows the client to click that button. It takes them to the PayPal or Square or whatever account, if they already have an account, they can either pay with their balance or with their credit card information on file. If not, they put in their credit card information securely. It's an SSL transaction. Um, Most of them use Stripe, which is the same thing that most banks use and other uh, financial institutions as a secure platform. And you, the vendor, never see their credit card information. You never get it. You never are in charge of it, you never touch it. It's not like someone calling you up and giving their credit card information over the phone. So that is the the last little tip there, but I think one of the most important um we do need to make sure that we have at least put some thought into how we, are, we can make our clients' lives easier and how they're going to pay us, how they're going to get us information, how they're going to sign things, and how they're going to move through the process. So overall, my encouragement is to ask you to think about what your mediation process looks like in person and identify those areas where people are doing something in person. And then you translate that into an online program. How is that going to be achieved online? So I hope you found the tips in this episode helpful, and I'll see you next week on the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, and if you liked this episode, please give me a five-star rating and tell me what you did like in a review. Join me each Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. to hear another episode, and be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss one. Send me your questions and comments at susan at learntomediateonline.com. And you can find out more about my trainings and programs at learntomediateonline.com. I'll see you next week.